We are in Yavamos Tzadi Aleph, Omer Aleph, 91a, really on the very last line of the previous page, as the Gemara continues to discuss the case of one witness testifying that a, a woman's husband passed away. She then gets married to somebody else, and then the husband returns. So we say that they have to, she has to get divorced uh, from both the second husband, even though they're not really married, they were never really married, and from the first husband, and many ramifications, many penalties we put in place. And as we mentioned when we began this topic, uh, all of this is put into place to make sure that she really looks into the matter because we're being lenient as it is to rely on one witness. And so we say that, you know what, you could go ahead and get married. We want you to go ahead and get married, but uh, you should make sure that uh, you know with a, with a high level of certainty that uh, your husband is no longer alive. And so therefore we put all these penalties into place. And so the Gemara now is analyzing and discussing the various penalties that are mentioned in the Mishnah. Okay, so... Says the Gemara, the case is, If, let's say, the wife was a Yisrael, she was not a Kohen, she was a non-Kohen, and basically, it was against her will, but she committed adultery, even though it was against her will. Um, she didn't know about it, she didn't know that her husband was alive, uh, but we still say that she's puzzled from Kuhuna, she's disqualified from the Kuhuna, she, can't, she cannot marry a Kohen, uh, and the Gemara says, Pshita, this is something which is obvious. We don't need our Mishnah to tell us this. This is not part of the penalties put in place. She's what's referred to as a Zona. Even though it was against her will, she still has. She still falls under the category of a Zona because she committed adultery. She cannot marry a Kohen. So the Gemara says, you know what? We don't need it for that case. We just mention it because of the next case that's mentioned in the Mishnah, which is Bas Levim and Amaiser, We need it for the case of where she's really uh, a Levi, She's the daughter of a Levi. A Levi, they're allowed to you give them Miser, as we discussed in the past, that some of the produce goes to the Kohen, the Truma goes to the Kohen, Miser, Rishon, a tenth of the produce goes to the Levi. And so we say that she doesn't, uh, she doesn't get it. She, because she's a Zona, she does not receive the Miser. So Mara says, I don't understand, why not? We have a Brisa that says that if she is a Levi and she gets captured, and therefore there's serious concern uh, that uh, she was essentially raped um, and that she had relations with, uh, with, uh, with her captors, or even if she has... Uh, Bia, she has sexual relations uh, in any other context, whether it's with uh, a non-Jew or a halal or any other situation which would make her into a zona, we still give her miser. We give her miser and she's allowed to eat the miser. Uh, we've mentioned in the past that miser is very different than truma. When it comes to truma, there are all these uh, restrictions. You have to eat it when you're in a state of purity. Um, only if a zona is not allowed to eat it, that's because Truma is viewed as kadosh, is viewed as holy. When it comes to Miser, also Truma can only be eaten by the Kohen. When it comes to Miser, we had a whole discussion earlier, but Miser is not viewed as something which is holy. Uh, according to the way we follow, you have to give it to the Levi, but a, a regular Jew of Israel is allowed to eat it also. After you, after you give it as a gift to the Levi, the Levi can then decide to give it to a Yisrael, to a regular Jew who's not a Kohen or Levi. And so, so too over here, who 
So let's say she is a zona. So what? She should still be allowed to eat the meiser. Why can't she eat the meiser? So Amr of Sheshes, Rav Sheshes says, you know what? Kanasa, you're right. Technically, by the letter of the law, she should be able to eat the meiser. Uh, because a zone is allowed to eat the meiser. This is all part of the, a fine. This is a fine. This is a penalty that we put on her. And we tell her that, listen, if you end up marrying the second husband and then the first husband comes back, we will put all these penalties in place, including the fact that if you're a lady, you can no longer eat meiser. You're not allowed to eat the meiser. Even though in general, uh, a woman who is a zona is allowed to eat meiser. Okay. The next case of the Mishnah is Bas. Uh, Kohen minat truma. If she's a, the daughter of a Kohen, she is not allowed to eat truma. Well, that's obvious. She's not allowed to eat truma, which is on a biblical level because she's a zona, as we pointed pointed out before. But uh, the Gemara says, "I feel truma not just truma, which is truma on a biblical level, but even truma, which is on a rabbinic level. We will say that she's not allowed to eat the truma. The next uh, fine penalty that's put in place is yorshim yorshim yorshin subasa." Essentially, the uh, relatives of the husband, of the first husband or of the second husband, they do not get her ksuba. The big question is, we said previously in the Mishnah, she never receives her ksuba. The ksuba is the amount that the husband usually has to give his wife after he dies or after uh, they get divorced. That's the regular ksuba. That's the money that she... uh, that uh, they decided that she would get, that she would receive, but she doesn't get any of that in this case, from neither from the first husband nor from the second husband, because that's part of the penalties that were put into place that we had earlier in the Mishnah. So what, what are we discussing? The Ksuba here and that the uh, the the husband's relatives get it. What, are we, what exactly are we talking about here? So Amr, Papa, Ksuba's bun and different. What we're discussing is a very specific uh, addition to the Ksuba, which we don't have today. We don't include it today for different reasons, but it used to be uh, that essentially as follows. Uh, if uh, the, somebody's daughter is getting married, so then um, he would usually, the father would usually um, give her, give the couple a dowry, you know, uh, a, a significant amount of money as they begin their marriage. Um, however, there was a concern by the rabbis. The rabbis had a concern that if the father gives it to his daughter, so the halacha is, is that it goes to, the Jewish law says that it goes to her husband. Really, her husband has it. Let's say her husband has multiple wives, whether it's at the same time, which used to be allowed to have multiple wives at the same time, or let's say even if it's at different times, but the husband is the one who inherits it, not her children right away, but her husband. So let's say she dies. So all the money goes to her husband. That which her father gave her goes to her husband. And then when the husband dies, well, then it gets split between her own children and also the children of a co-wife of one of the other wives or multiple wives. Um, and so there's concern that the father will not give as much as he really wants to give because it won't end up being completely given to his grandchildren. It will be divided up between all of the children of his son-in-law and his son-in-law could have other children from other marriages. Um, so there was this concern that the husband, that the father wouldn't give as much uh, towards the dairy. So as a result of that, there's a part of the ksuba says ksuba is bun and different, which essentially says that uh, essentially that part of the money, the money that the father gives to the daughter, that will be, it'll go against the laws of inheritance and those will be directed directly towards her own children. It won't be given to anybody else. It'll be given specifically to her own children. And so her own children would uh, receive that after the husband passes away. 
it wouldn't be given, divided up equally between all of his children, whether it's from that marriage or from a different marriage, that, that amount is marked specifically for her children. That's what Aksubas Banandichrin is. So by Aksubas Banandichrin, the Mishnah is telling us that uh, just like she doesn't receive her Ksuba uh, after her husband passes away, she also the children do not receive uh, a the the money which is marked specifically for them that was mentioned in the Ksuba. The Gemara says, Pshita, this is obvious. Isn't this obvious because it's part of the Ksuba? So the Gemara answer is no. Mahu I would have thought that no. Maybe she doesn't receive her ksuba. When the husband dies, she doesn't receive her ksuba, the amount that she deserves, because she's the one who committed the sin. She committed the sin, and so therefore she doesn't receive the ksuba. The penalty is on her. But why should we penalize the children? Her children we shouldn't uh, put a fine on. Why are we putting a fine on the children? The children should be able to receive the money that she got, that she brought into the marriage. That should be divided up exclusively within her children and not within other children from other marriages that, the, that their father has. And why why should we find them? That's exactly what the mission is telling us. That no, even in that case, we will also put a fine. There's no ksuba. There's no ksuba whatsoever. Just like there's no ksuba for her, there's also no ksuba for the children as well. And so that's what that line means, that uh, the, the children also do not receive their portion from the ksuba. Okay, the Gemara now continues on with the Mishnah. The Mishnah now has three opinions who object. They object to three different uh, statements from the first opinion. Okay, we will have Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Lazar, and Rabbi Shimon. And so it's important to keep in mind all the opinions here. Essentially, Rabbi Yossi argues, and he says that Really, the wife does receive the ksuba. That's what Rabiosi says. The wife does receive the ksuba. That's not part of the penalty. Rabbi Lazar says that uh, what's really not part of the penalty, what's not part of the fine, is the fact that the husband does receive his merits. He has certain merits in the marriage, like whatever she finds belongs to him, or whatever she makes belongs to him, and the fact that he has the right to... um, uh, annul any of her vows that impact him or that um, cause pain to her. Um, so he has the right to annul those vows. So anything that impacts him, he didn't do anything wrong. He was he was missing. He didn't do anything wrong. And so therefore he receives that. That's according to Rabbi Lazar. And Rabbi Shimon is the last opinion. Rabbi Shimon says that if you do yibum, that if the first husband passes away and the brother is allowed in fact, to do Yibam. Rabbi Shimon argues and says that the brother could do Yibam. He's allowed to do Yibam, even though um, the, they were supposed to get divorced. They didn't end up getting divorced. They were still married, and then the husband died. The first husband died. Then the first husband's brother is allowed to do Yibam. But just before we get to there, I see that uh, we missed the line about with regards to Yibam. The last line of the Mishnah before we got to that is, That the... If any of the husbands pass away, they both have to, the brothers both have to do chalitza and not yibam. If the husband of the first, the first husband was a real husband. So if he dies, so then on a biblical level, um, they, they do, they do, they do chalitza. They have to do chalitza. The brother has to do something. So he does chalitza. Technically on a biblical level, he could also do yibam. But the rabbi said on a rabbinic level, don't do yibam. Because again, they they were supposed to get divorced, so don't go, don't do yibum. 
Um, the, with regards to the second husband, they were never actually married. So really, on a biblical level, it wasn't considered a marriage, and they don't have to do anything. The brother doesn't have to do yibam or chalitza, but we instituted and said that you should go ahead and do chalitza anyways. On a rabbinic level, do chalitza because it looks like they're married, so therefore you should do something. Go ahead and do chalitza. Okay, that was that line. But getting back to Rabiosi, Rabbelezer, and Rabbi So again, Rabiosi argued and said that she does receive riksupa. Uh, the money that she receives after after he dies or after they get divorced. She does receive that. Rabbi Lazar says that he receives, the husband receives all of his merits in the marriage, uh, as opposed to the first opinion. And Rabbi Shimon says that the if the first husband dies without any children, so then the brother can, in fact, do Yibam. So the Gemara now is going to have two different opinions. We know that some of these three opinions agree to each other. We just don't know in which direction. Um, according to the first opinion, we'll see that uh, whoever's quoted first, then, uh, sorry, whoever's quoted last agrees to the previous opinions. Whoever's quoted first argues on the next opinions, as, as we'll see in a second. And according to, um, according to the second opinion, Rabbi Yochanan, it's the opposite, that the first opinions agree to the latter opinions. The latter opinions disagree with the uh, first opinions. So let's see this inside. Amr Avuna, Avuna says, Basrai modula kamai kamai lo modula basrai. The the later the latter opinions they agree to the earlier opinions. The earlier opinions d- d- don't agree to the later opinions. What does this mean? Rabbi Shimon modula Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi Shimon who said that the brother in law could do yibum he agrees to Rabbi Lazar. Why? Dema biya de ikrisura lo kanes kol shikim mitziaso masyadei adam amonahu. If Rabbi Shimon allows biya, he allows. The brother-in-law and the sister-in-law to have sexual relations in this context with the first with the first husband's brother, and to allow for sexual relations, which was the what the whole iser, the whole prohibition is based on this, um, and it's it, it's uh, the, he, she's not allowed to stay married to her actual husband, but he allows the brother-in-law to do yibam to her. So then, certainly, Rabbi Shimon would allow. Uh, things that have to do with, not things to do with uh, sexual relations, but things that have to do with monetary issues. That's even more lenient. And so for sure he'll allow, he'll agree to Rebbe Lazar to allow the husband to receive uh, the money, like anything she finds and uh, anything that she acquires, anything that she receives from her work. Rebbe Lazar, but Rebbe Lazar, the middle opinion, does not agree with Rebbe Shimon because but when it, so when it comes to money, monetary issues, we'll say it belongs to the husband. But when it comes to actual iser, when it comes to forbidden relationships, that's more stringent. So therefore, he does not agree with Reb Shimon. So it doesn't work in the other way. Vitarvayu, both Reb Lazar and Reb Shimon, modulei They both agree to Reb Yossi. Why? Reb Yossi said that she receives her ksuba because honey, the yasutuse lokanes v'kolshiking ksuba the lemishkal mepakai. Reb Lazar said that the husband receives the his. Uh, all the monetary issues within the marriage the husband receives, that's while they're married and they're supposed to get divorced. So if he holds that the husband's allowed to receive it while they're married, so then certainly the document and, and the money that she receives after the marriage, certainly she should receive. She should get that because she should get the ksuba money, which happens after the marriage. If the husband receives the money during the marriage, so then she should cer- certainly receive the money that she deserves that comes after the marriage. Because they're supposed to get divorced, so she'll come to her after the marriage. However, Rabbiosi, who says the statement that she receives the ksuba, only that she receives. That's the only case that, that he argues with that there's no there's no penalty in that case. But anything that has to do with the marriage itself during the marriage, for example, the husband receiving uh, his part 
uh, of uh, anything she finds and anything that uh, she she receives for payment uh, for her work, or or if it has to do with Rabbi Shimon about the fact that uh, she could do even with the brother-in-law, Rabbi Yossi disagrees and says, no, anything that has to do with the marriage itself, within the marriage itself, that's not allowed. But after the marriage, the ksuba is after the marriage. So certainly she could receive the ksuba, which is after the marriage. That's all Rav Huna. So again, Rav Huna says that the, the, the later opinions, they agree to the earlier opinions. Rabbi Yochanan says it's the opposite. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, no, kamai modu basrai, basrai modu kamai. The earlier opinion, Rabbi i.e. Rabbi he agrees to the later ones, and the later ones disagree with the earlier ones. And we'll explain the logic. Rabbi holds that she receives the ksuba, she who committed the sin, she who unintentionally, but <clears throat> she married somebody else while her husband was alive, she receives her ksuba money, so then certainly he, the husband, who didn't do anything wrong, he should receive the uh, anything that he deserves from uh, from anything she finds or anything she receives, yeah, he should get that. Who says he agrees to Rabiosi? Rabiosi only said that he receives his portion because he didn't do anything wrong. But she shouldn't get the ksuba; she did something wrong, so she shouldn't get that. And then says the Gemara, and they both agree to Rabi Shimon. Why? They both agree to Rabbi Shimon. Why do they both agree to Rabbi Shimon? Because at least both of them say that there's no fine either with regards to the Ksupish money she receives or what the husband has rights towards. There's no fine in those areas. So that that's why the husband's alive. But if the husband died, they certainly agree to Rabbi Shimon to say that uh, she could go ahead and do Yibam with the brother-in-law. But Rabbi Shimon is not going to agree to the first two opinions. Rabbi Shimon will say, no, I'm limited to a case where the husband, the first husband dies. Once the first husband dies, okay, no more penalties. The wife can do Yibam with the brother-in-law. But once, uh, but when in a case where the husband's alive, so then he disagrees with the first two opinions and he says she can't receive her ksuba money and the husband doesn't receive uh, what he's supposed to get in this case because we're going to create a fine, we're going to create a penalty in this case. And he only says a statement in a case where uh, the husband died so then she could go ahead and do Yibam. So those were some of the ramifications that were discussed in the Gemara. And we'll discuss the rest of the Mishnah and the commentary on the rest of the Mishnah in the coming Gemara.